Good morning, New Life East. The Lord be with you. Welcome to the ski lodge this morning. You're going to want to keep your coat on. I got my, <laughs> just to make the point here, you're going to want to keep your coat on. I, there was a heater issue this morning, so we're at about 50 degrees in here, chilly inside. But the warmth of the spirit is going to help us this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, uh, you might be smarter than all of us, actually. But we're grateful to be together as one church family this morning, lifting up Jesus' name and welcoming the Spirit. Would you lift your hands just like this, even if you got mittens on? And we just say, Lord, come among us. Lord Jesus, come among us. The scripture promises that you inhabit the praises of your people. So this morning, as we name your name, as we sing these songs, as we read the scriptures, as we share fellowship with one another, as we come to the table, we ask that the enlivening agency of the Spirit would be in us this morning and that you would take our worship. We're going to give you our best this morning. That's our commitment. But we, take that, we pray that you would take our worship and elevate it, that you would make it more and that something would happen among us this morning that leaves us breathless. And grant that we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, let's worship.
for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's put our confidence in him. through a chaotic time. I just feel that let's sing this. Let's declare this over our life that we have joy in him even when it doesn't make sense.
we sing, we will make room for you. Sometimes God just makes room for himself. You know, the psalmist says that the suffering that you sent for me was good because it taught me to pay attention. So here we are saying, make room for you, God, but he's, he's just going to do it. In, he's going to do it on his own. He's not always necessarily very concerned about your physical comfort in the process either. And so we pray, disturb, disturb us, O oh Lord, because that's a place where we reach dependency on him, utter dependency. And that's what he wants because that takes relationship. That takes trust. That's what he's doing in your life right now. And if that's going on in your life, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity, a crossroad really, to press into whatever it is that he's doing in your life. Or you have an opportunity to flee from it. If you flee from it, he'll still find you, but it'll be, a, it'll be maybe further down the road. And at a crossroad, Zachariah says this, when we're standing at a place of choosing whether to surrender or choosing which way to go, maybe for you it's a physical direction, trying to figure out where God is leading you. Hear the words of the prophet, stand at the crossroad and look. Maybe that's you today. You're standing at a crossroad and you look. You're looking for direction. You're looking for comfort. You're looking to figure out which way you need to go. And ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And there's where you will find rest for your souls. This is a moment for you this morning to trust the Lord. The band's going to take us back into this. And when we sing, your way is better, that is your, your surrender to the Lord. These songs for you might even be the ancient path. The ancient path of remembering where God has taken you before. This is an opportunity for you to trust let your faith rise up, church, as you sing it. Shake up the ground. Your way is better, Lord. Sing it.
Uh, church, just breathe in. That's cold air, but breathe it in anyway. Uh, breathe in the goodness of the Lord this morning. He's here. He's with you. He's speaking to you. Praise him for that. Oh, I just heard that it's actually 57 degrees in here now. It's a full seven degrees warmer than when we got in. So that's your worship working. Oh, it's warming up our souls. It's warming up this room. Hallelujah. My name is Colin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life East. So thankful that you've decided to spend this morning with us. If it's your first time, would you step out uh, into Connect Central? We have a gift for you. We just would love to meet you. There's also a gift, uh, a guest card on your seat. We'd love for you to fill that out so we could stay in touch with you. Three things for you to know about this morning. This is uh, one of our last times meeting here at Grand Peak Academy on February 4th. We are first Sunday at RMCA, Rocky Mountain Classical Academy on Barnes and Mark Scheffel. Services will start there on February 4th at 10 a.m. Um, we won't skip a beat. It'll be wonderful meeting with you there. The day before, which is a Saturday, we're having a 10 a.m. prayer and worship Basically, we're going to just bless the socks off of that building. We would love for all of you to be there. We're going to pray through it, commission it for our presence that will be, uh, we'll be meeting there starting on February 4th. So put that on your calendar. Also, we're, uh, Pastor Andrew's leading a, a trip to Uganda on July 12th for uh, about 10 days. It'll be a wonderful time. You can actually sign up for that. There's a green card on one of those usher tables as you leave the room, grab that, scan the QR code, navigate to the trip details on that. Lastly, we're in a season of 24-7 prayer leading us up to our move to RMCA. And we would love for you to reserve a spot to pray for an hour as we continue that, that chain of 24-7 prayer. My daughter signed up for Saturdays at 6 to 7 a.m. with a friend. And I thought, I don't, I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> And so this morning, we heard her alarm, or on Saturday morning, yesterday, we heard her alarm go off in her room, and she popped up, and she read through Matthew for an hour. So if my 13-year-old daughter can, can do that on a Saturday morning, which prime time for a teenager, uh, then so can you. So participate with us in that way. Before we open the Word together, why don't you turn to another one another? Give somebody a hug today, would you? Many of you came to church. Let's go. Give yourselves a hand. 
you didn't do it? Are you trying not to make the online people feel weird about not showing up? I don't know. Uh, Bruce McCaleb over here, one of my friends, he leads part of our prayer ministry. Uh, he asked me before the service, he said, Pastor, you grew up in Wisconsin. What's the coldest uh, you remember it ever being in Wisconsin? And I said that I remember two different times in Wisconsin where we had three-day periods where with the wind chill, it was over 90 below zero. Yes, 90 below, in 90 below weather, you die in two minutes if you're outside. So they tell you to stay inside. And I remember me and my friends, we would go outside with these big old hot gla- glasses of hot water and you'd throw them up in the air and half of it would vaporize instantly and then the other half would just like freeze as soon as it hit the ground. And so what was it, negative 30 or something? This child's play. <laughs> We're going to be all right. All right, good to see you this morning. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. That's the fourth Gospel in the New Testament. And uh, I am so excited. We're starting to work our way through uh, this bit of text here in the New Testament. And uh, we'll be in the Gospel of John from now uh, right up through Easter Sunday. So this is the stories of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And that's what really the Gospels are. After Jesus died and was raised to life, ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, a group of uh, folks got together and started compiling their recollections. And they give these four different portraits of who Jesus is, and all of them are inflected in different ways and show different things. Robert Jensen, one of the great theologians of the last century, uh, said that the gospel and the gospels, what they are are the stories of Jesus told as a promise. So when we read these stories, uh, we're not just reading about some historical things that happened a long time ago to Jesus, but we're actually reading about the intention of God over our lives even now. Somehow these stories are apocalyptic. They show us something of who God is and what God wants for us. What's fascinating to me about John is that uh, oftentimes when people come to faith for the first time, uh, you know, they'll start asking questions like, what do I do? And somebody will say, well, you need to read your Bible and pray every day. And they'll say, okay, the Bible, where should I read in the Bible? And oftentimes the answer that's given is you need to read the Psalms because the Psalms are like the prayer book of scripture. And then you also need to read the gospels. And the best gospel for you to read is the gospel of John. And the reason that's usually given for that is that it's because the Gospel of John is so simple. You know? But what is fascinating is that when you read the Gospel of John, it does come off as simple. And he writes in very simple language. But it might be the deepest of all of the Gospels that we have. In fact, in the first couple centuries of the church, uh, John was simply referred to as the theologian. Because there was a level of depth to his writing that was unlike anything else we see in the New Testament. He's a fascinating writer. And I think the Lord's going to teach us a bunch through these weeks of studying John's text. So here we go, John chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, if you're there, holler at me and say I'm there. John 1, 1, hear the word of the Lord. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to every person was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Then this verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of the fullness of his grace, we have all received grace for grace, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Now let's pray. Also, is there like a siren going off or is that just the sound of the... What is that you think? It's the air? Okay. Yes, Lord. The trumpet blast. Are you coming, Jesus? Deliver us. Deliver us, oh Lord. Let's pray. Well, it is good to be here with you, Jesus. And thank you that you're the living one who still speaks to us. Thank you that you're in our midst. Thank you that these scriptures... Well, Moses says, these are not just idle words for you. These are your life. And so I thank you that these scriptures are not idle words for us. They're our life. They're our life. By them, we'll live long. By them, we'll know the Lord. By them, we'll understand who we're called to be and what we're called to do in the morning. So come, or in the world. So come, come. We pray that you'd open these scriptures to us, living Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd remind us of who we are. We pray that you would build us up and make us strong, that you would build us up as a congregation and make us strong. We pray that you would inoculate us against lies, that you would inoculate us against fear, that you would inoculate us against every work of hell that seeks to destroy us, and that you'd set us down again or show us how firm we are in the kingdom of the Father. Granted, we pray. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. This bit of text has been called the prologue to the Gospel of John. So it really kind of sets up everything that he's going to do in the book. Seems to me when I read these verses that there's a reasonably complete uh, Christian vision of reality contained in these first 18 verses. And I just want to unpack that for you in three points here. Number one, I'll say this, that the world that we live in is meaningful because it is governed and guided by purposeful love. The world that we live in is meaningful because it's governed and guided by purposeful love. Look again at the first verse of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does John open with? What are those first few words of John's text there? What does it say? In the beginning. And does that remind you of any place else in the scriptures? Yeah, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. There is this very obvious gesture that John makes to Genesis 1 by starting his gospel saying in the beginning. What he's saying is that somehow all of human history, all of creation, all of world history that it's gathered up in Jesus and it's guided by the story of Jesus itself in the beginning. The great poet of the last century, T.S. Eliot, uh, said this, that in my beginning is my end. 
that if we know something about our beginnings, our origin story, we're going to know everything that we need to know about where we're going and whether or not our story is actually meaningful. And my beginning is my end. And do you know that that's the way that the Bible writers actually think about history? That because our God started out history with purpose and intention, therefore he was always going to be the God who guided and governed history according to his good and purposeful love. And so no matter what happened, and no matter how chaotic things seem, there was always this undercurrent of trust in the biblical imagination that somehow the hand of God was guiding things. And that's the case even in books in the Old Testament, for instance, that don't even mention God specifically. Have you ever uh, read the book of Esther? God is never mentioned one time. Do you know that in the book of Esther? God is never mentioned one time. And yet there is this understanding that in spite of all of these evil things that are happening to the Jews and in spite of all of these terrible calamities that are about to ensue, that somehow there is a deliverance that's always being cooked up for the people of God. In fact, that's what Mordecai says to Esther. He's like, Esther, you know, if you don't do your duty now, just so you know, deliverance for the Jews is going to arise, but from another place. Like there is no sense in which ever in the biblical imagination that God has taken his hand off the story or let go of our world. Our story, our history is meaningful because it's governed and guided by the purposeful love of God. Paul says as much in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He says that he who, you might know it, began the good work in you, will what? Be faithful to carry it on to completion until when? The day of Jesus Christ. That the one who begins the good work in our world, the one who begins the good work in our lives, is carrying everything to a good end. Do you know that can be trusted? That can be trusted. And when you begin to trust it, it takes all of the anxiety out of your heart, calms your mind, helps you make good decisions about where you are and what you should be doing and where you should be going. The ground, I want to say to you this morning, is firmer underneath your feet than you realize. And there are times when it feels like it's not very firm and everything is a little bit chaotic and crazy. And we know that our history is being governed and guided by purposeful love. And therefore, we can trust that. We can rest in that. I remember years ago, Mandy and I were pastoring in Denver. A young woman came to see us, was all panicked about all the stuff that was going on in her life and wasn't happening in her life. She was like, Pastor, you know, she said, I moved here a couple years ago because the Lord told me to come to this city and work at this church. And I moved to this city and I went to this church and I started doing this thing and I have all of these dreams and I have all these hopes and I have this big call in my heart. But, you know, it didn't really work out at the church and they let me go at the church. And now I don't really know what's going on with my life. And I've got all this stuff that I want to do. And she was just like, have you ever been there in your life? Or you're just like so mentally, you're just like in a tizzy. This young woman was in a tizzy. And I, as we were talking with her, the image that I got was, uh, I remember growing up in little Marshfield, Wisconsin. And we had these, uh, our, our public swimming pool was Hefco Pool is what it was called. And Hefco Pool, like most pools, it had like the deep end of the pool, but then it had this like shallow end of the pool. And the shallow end, you know, kind of was on a grade like that. And the shallow end, uh, that's where like swimming lessons would take place. You know, little kids are like learning to swim for the first time. And I remember I was always like a pretty uh, adept swimmer and so confident in the water. And I remember like growing up and going to the pool and I would see like kids that were learning how to swim for the first time. And the instructor or the parent would put the kids in the water. And if the kids had like fear about the water, they would just start acting like complete maniacs, you know, splashing and just making this whole huge ruckus, you know, as though they were going to drown there. And I, I just remember as a kid thinking like, it's like 18 inches of water, kid. Just like settle, like put your feet 
down, all right? And you'll see that the ground is firmer under your feet and you realize. And I said that to her. That was my image of her. And I said her name was Christina. I said, Christina, I hear everything that you're saying. And I hear all of your concerns and all your plans, all your fears and all this stuff. I said, but honey, God has you. And you keep trying, like you keep acting like you're the one that's responsible for the outcome of your life. Do you not believe the promise of the scripture? Philippians 1, 6, the one who began the good work in you will what? Well, he'll, who will be faithful? He'll be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We don't have to manage our lives. We don't have to manage our story. We have to make good decisions. We have to be responsible for what God has given us to do. But we're not responsible for managing the outcome of our story. God is. And he's guiding it to a good end. And I don't know if you know this, but believing that in your bones is a great hedge against despair. And do you know that despair is deadly? That when we start, when we give up hope that our story is going in a good way, that we begin to collapse internally. We begin to collapse mentally. We begin to collapse physically. There's a great Austrian psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl. He spent a couple of years of his life in a Nazi concentration camp. And while he was there as a psychiatrist, he had this like up close opportunity to observe human behavior. And he said, one of the things he said I learned in the concentration camp was that when guys gave up hope, that's when all of a sudden they began to crumble physically and spiritually and mentally. And he told the story of one guy that he knew who was convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that the deliverance was going to come at a certain date in March. All of his hope was hanging on this one particular date. And he said that date in March came and went. And when that date in March came and went, the guy was so shattered internally that two days later he died of typhus. Somehow his constitution crumbled because he'd given up hope. Our hope, listen to me, church, can never be attached to this or that outcome or this or that circumstance going a certain way. Our hope has to be attached to something much more concrete, much more stable than that. It has to be attached to God. And what will happen when your hope is attached to God is that the rains can come and the winds can blow and it won't rattle us, it won't shake us because our confidence is in something other than outcomes. Are you tracking with me this morning? Church, do you know that this, by the way, is the reason that one of the central spiritual practices of the Christian life is that we read the Bible? (laughs) There's something about, I mean, you get in these like modes where your mind is so confused and your heart is so anxious about your story and your life and where it's going and am I going to go to a good end? And then we read the scriptures again and the scriptures make us mindful again that we are being held by loving hands. I want to challenge you this morning, church, to get your mind back into the scriptures and get your heart back into the scriptures Because that is the place where we drink in confidence in God as from a deep well. And it nourishes us and it helps us. And it helps us remember that the ground is firm underneath our feet. And so we know that our world is meaningful, that our history is meaningful because it's governed and guided by purposeful love. Number two, I'd say this to you out of John chapter 1. That that purposeful love looks like and indeed is the relationship between the father and the father. And the Son. That the purposeful love is not just something vague, kind of floating around in the cosmos, but the purposeful love looks like something. The purposeful love, in fact, is what God is. It's the relationship between the Father and the Son. Look back at those first couple verses of John, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the what? Word. And the Word was with who? 
God and the word was God. We have like the two and the one. He was with who? In the beginning, right? He was with God in the beginning. So here we go, hearkening back to the beginnings. And let's go back to Genesis also here. Look at this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then, of course, in verse 3, do you remember what verse 3 says in Genesis chapter 1? And God, and God said. And so there in Genesis chapter 1, there within the first three verses, we have God the Creator and we have the Spirit hovering over the waters. And who do we also have? The Word of God and God said, God from the very beginning has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what we mean in the church when we talk about the Trinity. That the Trinity is not just some bit of idle speculation about who God is, kind of a take it or leave it kind of thing. Nor is the Trinity a step on the way to God. But the Trinity is just who God is. The Trinity is what God is forever and ever and ever. That from all eternity before the creation of the world and after all things are rolled up, God has always been and will always be Father and Son in the power together, the unitive bond of the Holy Spirit. That's what we mean when we say Trinity. And I wonder, what must it like be like to be God? <laughs> if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what is that experience like? And sometimes I think analytical or dogmatic theology can only get us so far. We have to resort to the language of poetry. This is St. John of the Cross, the 15th century Spanish theologian and mystic, he wrote this. Listen to this. Will you indulge me a poetry reading this morning? I got a captive audience, so you can leave if you want to leave. I don't know, but I'm doing it anyway. John writes, listen to this. I want you just to let your imagination be lost in these words. John writes, in the beginning, the word lived in the being of God. Happy? Yes, infinitely. Therein its happiness had. Seeing it was God, the word, as the beginning we call, in the beginning it lived, had no beginning at all. For the beginning it was, hence what it was, had not. For Son is the word for the word of the beginning begot. The Father, time out of mind, begetting, begets him today. All he possesses confers. Giving gives nothing away. And where does he glory? The Son? In the light of the Father alone. And the Father delights in the Son So each has come into his own, as in the lover the loved, one and the other is so. This love interfusing the two may in equality go, both with the one as the one, level and pitch and degree. Three are the persons, their love wonderful, one among three. Only one love among three, only one love fathering three. There where the loved is the lover, life giving life to the three. Ponder the range of their power. Each has it all and alone. Each is in love with his loving. Peers of the luminous zone. Each is almighty in all. Each and alone is the tie of the inscrutable union. Staggering wherefore and why. Infinite love, John says, is the link. Tying the trio above. Love, soul, and yet triple. Such is the mystery thereof. Love, the more single and only, generates all the more love. You say, what is John saying? I have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. What is John saying? What does it mean to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It means to exist in a reciprocal relationship of love and delight that is unlike anything we can imagine. 
Yeah, and the Greek theologians of the church in the first few centuries, they had this word for what God was like, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the word was perichoresis. Can you say perichoresis? And you say, what does that mean? Para, like perimeter, circle. And choresis is where we get the word choreography from, like dancing. And you know what they said about the Trinity? That the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dancing around one another in this cycle of mutual love and delight. That according to John, it just keeps generating all the more love and delight. What is it like to be God? It's awesome to be God. <laughs> God is always happy. And the Father looks at the Son and has full delight. And the Son looks at the Father and has full delight. And some theologians of the church have said that the Holy Spirit just is the delight between the Father and the Son. What is it like to be God? It's like awesome to be God. But you know what the crazy thing about Christian theology, the crazy thing about the New Testament's claim is that we are not or we don't have to be outsiders to that love. But that whole thing that's shared between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we actually get to be included in that. Jonathan Edwards put it this way. He said that this was the design of Christ, that he and his Father and his people should be, as it were, one society, one family, that the church should be, as it were, admitted into the society of the blessed Trinity. Where do you and I exist as the church of Jesus Christ? We're inside God. We've been made partakers of that whole relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Peter says that in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, through these, he has given us great, very great and precious promises so that through them we may, can anybody finish it? Participate in the divine nature. That somehow by virtue of the promises of God, somehow by virtue of the work of the Spirit, we're actually brought in to the relationship between the Father and the Son. And that relationship, that dynamic, that's intended to heal us. Do you know that? That when we open our hearts to that and we let the dynamic of Father and Son and the power of the Holy Spirit touch our lives, that it actually does what changes us. It makes us something more than we were before we were touched by the love of God. Last week, Pastor Colin gave this incredible word in the middle of the service. He talked about Abraham and how the promise that God gives to Abraham is like this unequivocal, unconditional promise. That God gets up in front of Abraham before Abraham has done anything good. And he basically says to him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. I'm pouring my strength out on you. Your family is going to be blessed just so you know. Like I'm going to do you good all the days of your life. And I love that word. And I thought that's a great word. And that's for somebody. Actually, it's for all of us in the house. But that, like, that word, like, that's for somebody specifically. And after the service, a guy, one of my friends here at New Life East, came up to me and he said, Man, that word, he said, was for me. He said, You know my story. And I do know his story. Raised by a father that didn't love him, raised by a father that was demeaning and diminishing and demanding. He said, All my life, I've always had this picture of God that that's what God is like. That God is demeaning. That whenever I step out of line or I fail to measure up, God is demeaning. God is diminishing. God is demanding in some way. And he said, it's been a long journey for me of learning to accept the unconditional love of God. He said, and I needed to hear that. I've made so much progress, but I needed to hear that this morning. He had tears in his eyes as he's telling me that. And I thought to myself, all of us need to hear that. What's your picture of God? What's your picture of God? And maybe the picture of God that you carry around is that God is demeaning and diminishing, that God is demanding of you. Maybe the picture that you carry around of God is that he's this micromanaging deity, that whenever you step out of line or you fail to do things right, that God is just always kind of waiting to like lay the smack down on you. Or maybe 
Your image of God is that God is, maybe God was like your father. Maybe your father, your human father. He's an absentee father. He was never there. He was always concerned about other people and other things. He never really put his love on you. Maybe that's your image of God. I want you to know something, that the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ is better than any of your experience of human parenthood. And when we open our heart to God, somehow that heals us. What is your image of God? I remember when our kids were really little. We got four kids, three of them are teenagers now. And we love them. We're having so much fun with them. But I do kind of miss in some ways. I miss the little baby phase. And I remember only in some ways, though. (laughs) But I remember when they were very little, Every so often, you know, I don't know, they'd wake up 18 times a night and I'd take one of those shifts and I'd feed them their little bottle and then I'd put them up on my shoulder, get a little burp out of them. And I loved those moments that me and my babies had with each other and their fuzzy little heads, you know, and their warm bodies. And I would hold them close to my face, rocking them, praying over them, And I remember I would say, I would get my mouth right on their little ear. And I would say, your daddy loves you. Your daddy loves you. Your daddy loves you. There are things that you're going to experience in your life that are going to be hard. But your daddy loves you. There are things that you're going to experience in your life that are going to rob your sense of self. Or they're going to try. But I want you to remember forever and always that your daddy loves you. And no matter what happens in your life and no matter what you experience and no matter what you think and no matter what other people say about you, I need you to remember that your daddy loves you. That is a drop in the ocean of how God feels about us. That's a drop in the ocean of how God feels about us. God, God is the absolute essence of unqualified, unconditional love that undergirds and supports our lives. And it is the intention of God that by the power of the Holy Spirit, every disturbance of our soul that has been created by false images of God or things that people have said to us that have dragged our self-image down, that all of that would be washed away and healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is God like? God is never more or less than what he is revealed to be in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can trust that. Can you receive that this morning, church? And so we know that our story is a meaningful story because it's governed and guided by purposeful love. That purposeful love of God looks like the relationship between the Father and the Son. And then the last thing that I'll say to you this morning, and with this I'll begin to invite the band up for worship here and communion. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the purposeful love of God made flesh. And he, Jesus Christ, is the full revelation of what God is like. Look at verse 14. John says this, that the Word, that second person of the Trinity, became what? Flesh and made a dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. You can't see God. God lives in an unapproachable life. No one has seen or can see. Nobody has ever seen God. 
but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. What does that say? Read those last four words. Jesus, listen to me, church. Jesus is how we know what God is like. Jesus is not a step on the way to God. You don't go behind Jesus and go, oh, there's a little more God here. That's not the way that it is. When we look at Jesus, we're seeing the full revelation of what God is like. Listen to what Jesus says to Philip later on in the book of John chapter 14. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Philip is exasperated by all of Jesus' enigmatic talk. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen who? When we look at Jesus, are we going to be okay, Colin? <laughs> I don't, at least he's honest. <laughs> he says, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll do our best. Come, Lord Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. But we also know this, that we're made in the image and the likeness of God. And so when we look at Jesus, we also see what God intends for us to be. Jesus is the way for us. He's not in the way. He is the way for us. He's the truth and the life. It's very difficult, you know, to preach when there's a potential looming calamity over our heads. I want to invite you to stand (laughs) this morning. Church, and I want you to open your heart up to Jesus in a fresh way. And I don't know what it is you're struggling with. I don't know what it is you're wrestling with. I don't know what questions you have about yourself, your path, your future. But Jesus is the answer to all of those things. He's the way that we see what God is like. He's the way that we see where we're going. And so I want you to just hold your hands open before the Lord this morning. And Lord Jesus, we ask you to come. We ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall upon our minds this morning that you would correct every errant pattern of thought in us and that you would reassure us of the Father's love for us. I pray in all the places where we are disturbed about our stories and where they're going, our identity and what it's made up of and what's the truth about ourselves. I ask that this morning, again, as we come to the table, that we would hurl ourselves into the truth that you are and that we'd find ourselves bathed in your warm light and love. Grant that, we pray. And we remember before you, Lord Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup, saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, this morning, we ask that you would take the bread and take the cup, lay your hands upon them, bless them, break them, give them to us that they would be for us a real participation in the life of God that heals us and makes us sons and daughters of the living God. Grant it, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on my right and my left as always. So you come forward, you'll come up the center aisle, you'll receive a cracker in your hand, you'll dip it in the cup. And then you'll take it as you head back to your seats. Brothers and sisters, I say to you that these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
This is my story. This is my story. Father, 
Sunday of difficulties, but we didn't die. So that's like so amazing. <laughs> Lift up your hands like this, receive this blessing. New Life East, I say over you that to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, he gave them the authority, the right to become the children of God, sons and daughters of God, just like Jesus is the son of God. We're slotted into the Trinity right alongside Jesus. And so over you, I say, as the sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you, his bright, smiling face, and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you need a prayer for anything, I'm going to invite our prayer team forward. We would love to pray with you. Remember to sign up for prayer over there in Fellowship Hour in the cafeteria. Come with me to Uganda. Stay warm, stay safe, eat some soup. Go Packers, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs>